Yeah, healthcare. Yeah. Healthcare administration. That was the final major that I picked before I graduated. I was jumping around to a bunch of them. Yeah, and healthcare seems like a good one, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so much stuff going on in yeah. in healthcare. But that's like that's a tough industry. Tough industry, and come you know if you're not not being a doctor, coming out like administrative work, you know yeah. you're not going to go immediately start making a lot of money. It's going to be you know a grind working in the hospitals and stuff. But more power to them. But when I went, finished college, I quickly decided that I don't want to work in healthcare administration. Dude, we all have the best time ever to start a small business. If I'm not going to be 100% in, I'm not going to do it. Come on, man. Just be yourself. Yeah. And, like, and just show up as yourself. If you don't realize what I'm really about, I'm about freedom, family, and my country. Anthony, cheers. What's up, man? Cheers. Thank you for coming. For sure. Happy re- to be here. I really appreciate it. You know, when we kicked this whole podcast off... It really started with, like, let's show love to small business owners here in New Jersey, Mm. more specifically here in Ocean and Monmouth County. Mm. And that's what we want to keep it about. You're a guy, grew up in Old Bridge. Um, You have a company Mm. right here in, where you're you're in Matawan now. And also down in Atlanta, correct? Yep. Um, Raised in Old Bridge. Bridge. I was going to say New Brunswick again. I don't know why. You live in Marlboro now? Marlboro. Marlboro, yeah. Local. Local guy, you know, a bunch of other people I knew. Mm-hmm. You dealt with Mike Scalfani, sold you your home. Mike's a great guy, isn't he? He's awesome. Good He's a dude. good realtor, too. He is. He's a good guy to know. And he is somebody who's like, hey, you know, you should connect with this guy. You should. He's a great networker. and he, he That's how we're here. Yeah, and he does it from a genuine point of view. Anyway... He got on the phone. He's like, I, I sold this guy, Anthony, a house. He's a young guy. He's absolutely crushing it in the logistics game. Mm-hmm. You got to talk to him. So you and I hopped on the phone probably almost a year ago now. Yep. It's probably maybe August last summer or something. And uh, we got to talking about your story and the business that you have. And what this whole podcast is predicated on is being able to turn around and help the next young guy or gal in line that's trying to obtain financial freedom or start their business and not have to work in the rat race. Mm -hmm. And you've done that and done it very well, very quickly at the young age of 30, right? 30, yep. When I started the company, I was 27. Yeah. You're 30 now and you're having a tremendous amount of success and you continue to grow. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you for giving me your time. I know you're busy. I think it took us three different times to get on the same page to get this one going. A long time coming, man. I'm happy to be here too. Thank you for having me because I like what you got going on as well. I'm interested in hearing about you and learning about what you guys have been doing with um, the event and all that stuff. It's it's awesome. I'm trying, you know, I'm imperfect. You're a full-time hustler. Yeah, (laughs) I'm definitely a hustler. And uh, I also want to make sure I do it in good faith. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes you're misunderstood and, mm-hmm. you know, people are like, you know, why are you bringing these big guys around? And you got Keaton, he's got helicopters in his yards and stuff. And sometimes when you're getting outside the box and doing mm-hmm. something different, you're going to get criticized until you're able to turn around and help those people and they're mm-hmm. able to see the full vision. So I'm kind of in the middle. I haven't done anything real mm-hmm. big yet. You got really good energy, and people are, like, magnetized to you, I feel like. Yeah. Well, the right people. Other people yeah. say I'm a dick, so <laughs> we'll go back and forth with that, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, I truly love small business owners. Um, I was always enamored by business, although I was kicked out of high school. I didn't really know much, uh, but I really enjoyed it. Once I started working in the financial services industry, I was working mainly with business owners because we called in on health insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually had some trucking logistics companies that we dealt with in the past. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Road Lee's <laughs> the name of your company. Mm-hmm. Let's get to that finally. Road Lee Logistics. Road Lee Logistics. Mm-hmm. You've been doing it three years now. Mm-hmm. You started, well, I'll, I'll walk through that. Mm-hmm. So grew up in Old Bridge. Where'd you go to college? Uh, Towson, Maryland. Maryland. Yep. I heard that's a fun school. You like it down there? Yeah, it was awesome. Where'd Met you a lot of great people, um, buddies who I'm still very close with to this day, people who work with me. Um, great, great area down there. And you went to school for health insurance? <laughs> yeah, healthcare. Yeah. Healthcare administration. That was the final major that I picked before I graduated. I was jumping around to a bunch of them. Yeah, and healthcare seems like a good one, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so much stuff going on in yeah. in healthcare. But that's like that's a tough industry. Tough industry, and come you know if you're not not being a doctor, coming out like administrative work, you know yeah. you're not going to go immediately start making a lot of money. It's going to be you know grind working in the hospitals and stuff. But more power to them. But when I went, finished college, I quickly decided that I don't want to work in healthcare administration. Did you have a desire to be very successful and make a lot of money yeah. at a young age? Yeah, from a really young age, actually. Um, you know, I had a normal childhood, but I do remember, like, back in the day, in maybe third grade, fourth grade, uh, I had a neighbor whose father was a business owner. He owned um, a deli in, I don't know where it was, maybe like Old Bridge, Freehold area. And he used to take us, he was an entrepreneur, to the English Town auction when we were little and just sell anything that he had from his stores out on the English Town auction. Mm -hmm. So I was selling barbecue sets for Father's Day with them and kind of got that itch for selling and making money. And then, you know, me and my buddies would always spend our time on the weekends going to English Town auction and selling whatever we could find. What was your main thing you like sold? Dude, I, I wish I can get all my Pokemon cards back. I'd probably be a millionaire <laughs> but just from that. Um, we would sell anything that we had, our Pokemon cards. Pogs. Anything, anything we could find. You say you Pogs. Say? Pogs, like, like those, the circular yeah, things? Yeah, little circle things. Not those. I was a little bit, I, I remember those when I was like two or three years old. My older sisters had those. But I was selling baseball cards, Pokemon cards, anything I could find in the garage that my family wasn't needed or didn't see that I took. I heard <laughs> baseball cards, again, recently shot back up. I have a oh, ton yeah. of them. Hidden somewhere in my house. I don't know. Yeah, where they I think are. my baseball cards are in like my mom's attic or garage. Probably go through those. We got to go through those one day. Yeah. We'll just throw ours all together. The rookie cards. Yep. I have a lot of. I remember having a lot of like Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith and mm-hmm. Dion stuff. I always just said I would save it for my son. You get those graded. They could be worth something. I know. I think some of them were. They got the whole screw cases. And again, mm-hmm. I was I was into sports. I wasn't really into cards. So I never knew the true value. Yeah. We used to have those old books. You'd flip through, walk mm-hmm. down. That's cool. Yeah, so you were like a young entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You already had something going in your brain where you thought that way. Yeah, I had that itch from a, from a young age, you know, going door to door, like washing cars or trying to cut lawns, something like that. Whatever my thing. friends could, like, churn up or how we're going to make money today and, and go around the neighborhood and annoy all the neighbors and, like, you know, try to whatever job they would give us. Yeah, I did the same exact thing, man. Move whatever garbage you want out of your mm-hmm. yard, cut the lawn, whatever mm-hmm. you needed me to do. I just wanted to make some money. Yep. So you come out of college. Healthcare is not really for you. Mm-hmm. You end up down at a company in Maryland because a buddy of yours said, hey, fill out an application. Before you know it, you had a job at this company in the freight space, correct? Yeah, working in operations for a freight brokerage where, you know, it's similar to what we do now where the name of the game is they have sales, they have operations. Sales guys bring on customers, shippers who need freight moved. The operations guys, that's what I was working in, would find the trucking companies to move those shipments and then, you know, deal with all the BS that comes with it. Booking the trucks on the shipments, saying, hey, here's your pickup time, you know, vetting them, getting their insurance taken care of. And then the most important part is making sure they pick up on time and deliver on time. And then 
make that's sure how you keep, get paid. Yeah, and if not, then there'll be a sales guy on the other side of the office saying, "Anthony, what the hell's going on with this truck? My customers all pissed off at me. What the fuck?" So that's, that's what, a tough part of the job. Yeah, and honestly, I'm kind of blessed that I fell into that role because I remember, you know, you could be a logistics coordinator or a logistics sales. I went with the coordinator which put me in the operations position to learn actually, you know, how to book a truck, how to, you know, provide the good service. Whereas if I went sales, I would have learned how to, you know, get the shipments on the board, how to sell a customer, which is also very beneficial. But when I, when it came time to start the company, I needed to know operations more than I needed sales because it was just me. So if I got a shipment on the board, I needed to know how to handle it for the customer. Yeah. So that really kind of started to teach you that back end oh, of yeah. the business. At what point did you say, like, hey, this is something I want to go do on my own? Because I know you went to another company after that, Yep, correct? So after I was out of the brokerage, I went, I moved back up to New Jersey. I worked for um, a company in New York and then a company in New Jersey. And what I was doing, I was now the logistics manager. I was working for the company who had the shipments. So I was, you know, running RFPs, um, dishing out our freight to different freight brokers. And I was working with, you know, an array of them from small guys to the largest guys. And, you know, I kept seeing the same thing where, yeah, they did a pretty good job. A lot of brokers were kind of similar in that aspect, but we were shipping food a lot. And there was really no, like, no stop for them when they said, hey, our truck broke down, we're going to deliver tomorrow, or, you know, some type of issue occurred. There wouldn't be, like, some type of prioritization saying, Anthony, so sorry, truck broke down, but we're going to fix it for you. So I was trying to kind of start brainstorming around that. How can I fix that problem? And you can't fix it always. There's going to be weather issues that the truck physically can't move. There's going to be, you know, warehouses that are closed down. You physically can't deliver the freight. But I remember... You were trying to hone in the probability. Yes. I remember speaking to someone who worked on the customer care team. And I was talking to them, you know, in the lunchroom. And they were like, you know, like when your freight delivers one day late... You know, we usually get about 400 phone calls in from different people who own, like, who has the e-commerce box in that truck who's now get delayed. And they kind of equated to anywhere from 5000 all the way up to $20,000 in customer vouchers back to the customers. So I'm like, oh, crap, that is a really big KPI to track. You know, you're late on one day of a delivery. You know, this customer or shipper could face so much, you know, money in chargebacks to their customer, you know. And that's built into their business plans. They know they're going to have that cost, but what can we do to mitigate it? Mm -hmm. So I started putting it together. If I had my own freight brokerage, what would I do different? And then the thoughts started churning and churning a year, two, three, four years into those jobs. And then right How many years total did you work in that industry? uh, I started working in 2014, so 10 years? 10 years. Nine years. So you had a good base of knowledge. Yeah. How they ran, how the corporate was ran. Mm Mm-hmm. And really started to learn every facet of that business. Exactly, especially because I started on the brokerage side, and then I went to the customer side, so I got to see the viewpoint of customers who would give the freight brokers that. But see, that's a nugget. That's for for those of you watching. You don't have to be 18 or like I was, hated school. I was more so, not that Ryan was so intelligent I didn't go to college. It was more so that it wasn't the path I wanted to go on, and I was forced to figure it out. But I probably would have benefited going into more of a corporate structure, not the corporate per se, but Mm -hmm. the structure and learn that because I did it opposite. I started to get the sales. Then I got too many sales. Then you had to build the infrastructure. You went into a company for nine, 10 years out of college Mm -hmm. and really learned all that and then say, hey, Mm -hmm. how do I apply this into a business that I started on my own that gives me real financial freedom? Exactly. And and the autonomy to live how you want to live. 
And I hated working for that super corporate structure too. Whereas uh, I was working for a company that had hundreds of people and I was just low man on the operations totem pole, you know, doing, you know, the bitch work, getting calls all night long. And you feel, and like, you're, you feel like you're better than that. Mm-hmm. It starts to become real frustrating. Yeah. But you but learned a lot. I learned a lot from it. And now sure. at 27 years old, you're able to launch a business mm-hmm. that you know, out the mm-hmm. gates was really pretty successful. Yep. And I want to move forward and talk about where you launched this, because a lot of times I think people think about the glam of Instagram. Mm-hmm. Even what I'm doing here with this, I have this fireside set. This is in my backyard. It's nothing. Cr- it's awesome. It's fun. <laughs> you know, we can all relate to sitting around a fireplace, but mm. it's nothing really fancy. I have a little B-class office space. I was just able to throw this event, which you attended. Thank you for coming. But again, I'm nobody special, you know? Like, it doesn't have to be anything that looks perfect or is the nicest office or- It doesn't. The best laptop. You started in an apartment. Mm -hmm. And I actually remember that too, going back to like how I felt being the operation for a super corporate company. And when I took that, when I started Roadly, you know, I thought even the lower guys on the Roadly totem pole, they're going to be, you know, paid better than the corporate guys. They're going to be treated better and they're going to feel a sense of pride just for working at Roadly from the get go. So I took that into consideration as well when starting the company, which kind of played into our turnover rate, which we don't really have much turnover at our company. Like you come here, you work here, you're going to make great money. You're going to, you know, learn how to operate logistics and You know, a lot of people really embrace it and love it and want to grow with the company. We have all that structure in place for someone to come in, learn, and continue to go up the pole. But anyway, from starting the company um, in my apartment, I finally, in right when, right before, maybe two months before COVID, I had the idea, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to finally start my own freight brokerage. What could the name be? I'm starting to jump around. I really like the LY at the end of it. So I was thinking like, Freightly, Streetly. I was, I was thinking about names and I came up and I was like, Roadly, that's it. I remember I called my buddy, who's now our COO of the company. He was working in Baltimore still. He was my roommate in college, but he also had logistics experience. And I called him. I was like, hey, man, this is what I'm doing. He was super excited. He goes, what's your name? I was like, it's Roadly. He goes, that's the stupidest name I've ever heard. And I still think about that now because I remember the day he started working with me. I was like, you remember how bad you, you used to tarnish our name? You said you hated that name, but now he loves it. Um, Again, the outsiders looking in, you're doing something different. Mm-hmm. You know, people are always going to have their own opinion. You were running with it. Yeah. It, 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 I think Roadley's a legit name. Mm-hmm. Logistics, trucking, you're on the road. I he likes it. I sense. think he was just fucking with me at the yeah. time. But, um, but yeah, I, going back to, I started in my uh, apartment. We got our LLC in April of 2020. It'd be three years and two weeks from now is April 28th. Um, I didn't start the operations at that time. I knew that once I got the LLC, I had to put some background work in. I was still working my day job. At night, I would get home, creating the website, making sure the insurance is in place. I put uh, all the systems together on the back end, um, the softwares, our transportation management system, put together how I'm going to attack sales, how I'm going to handle operations, how I'm going to balance the time. Because there was a time being when operations started, I still had my day job. Mm-hmm. So it was like day job, night job, all of it started getting convoluted. Um, I got to stop you there. Yeah. Because I literally talked about this today with a bunch of different people, mm-hmm. and I've said this a ton in the past. Until you decide to make your side hustle your main hustle, mm-hmm. It won't become your main hustle. You want to say, hey, the, the side hustle, it's, something's going to break. Either the side hustle you're building is going to fall apart because you're not there to really yep. manage it or your day job. Yep. So at some point, you're forced to pick that, yeah. pick one of them. And, you know, for me, I, I was able, I knew I was going to eventually go all in on Roadly, but I didn't know how much time. I was like, was it going to be a week? Is it going to be 
a year, how, you know, how hard can I work now to see the first week of operations? Is it going to be successful? Am I going to only have one shipment to move for the whole month? Um, but by the time we started operations, just me in August, that first week I had, you know, $30,000, $40,000 in sales just on the first week. And then I had a cash flow issue because, you know, I started the company with $4,000, $5,000. But then again, there's business tools in place for, you know, every type of business, not only logistics. There's a lot of factoring so in I your game. I found a factoring company. Yeah. I was like, hey, you know, it's me. I, you guys are going to run credit lines and all the shippers I work with. You could do that. But there's going to be a lot of revenue coming through. And they're like, how do we know that? I was like, well, just trust me, there's going to be a lot. I'm not going to stop. And, you know, they took a chance. They gave me a great rate, signed up with them. And then literally... Two weeks into it, we were still doing forty, forty-five thousand dollars in sales. It was only me. I gotta bring it back again, just for those who maybe don't understand mm. factoring. Mm. Talk about what they do. It's really financing. Yeah, they're pretty much purchasing your accounts receivable. So if I have an invoice that's ten thousand dollars that I'm charging my customer, and we're paying the contractor for that work, I don't know, nine thousand, ninety-five hundred, whatever, mm. they're gonna look at the um, the credit worthiness of my customer. So. I don't know, let's say it's Home Depot. They're going to say Home Depot has great credit. We're going to give them a credit line of a million dollars. And then they'll take that $10,000 invoice and they'll purchase it from me. They'll take whatever I owe the contractor, you know, 9000 bucks, give it to them. And then the profit in between, they'll give me the profit and they'll take a small fee and they'll wait to collect the money from the customer. Mm -hmm. So we're going to pay our carriers, our shippers within one day after they deliver. These big customers aren't going to pay their bills for 30, 90, 120 days. Yeah, so you so, start to be able to build stronger relationships. They want to ship your stuff because let's be honest, anybody who does work, you want to be paid when you're done. Exactly, especially in the trucking industry with like fuel on the rise. It's so expensive to run and operate a trucking company. And it's hard to project that when, mm -hmm. when you're pricing things out. You're mm -hmm. net 30, net 60. Yep. You know, as a business, it's hard to do it. You're either winning or getting burned. Yeah, and you're com we're up here competing with the mega brokers who have you know unlimited cash in their banks, so they're paying their carriers in one day. How am I going to come on the scene and say, okay, please do work for me. Here's a similar lane, but I'm going to pay you in, when now, my do you still use me. a factoring company? We still do, but we, now we have an excellent rate. You mm -hmm. know, as our volumes grow, we were able to negotiate. Just like anything. Yep. The more you do, the more you get. Exactly. They saw Capitalism. how successful we were. They didn't want us to leave them and go to a bank. We have, um, you know, actually Chase Banks, like, always hitting me up, asked me to take this huge line of credit to kind of remove myself from the factor so they could do it. But right now, it's just where we're at. The factor company is so beneficial. Yeah, let me get a huge line of credit from Chase, and then they're like, "Hey, I want you to put ten million and keep it in deposits here, and not try and not move it, and I'll like beat their rate." Yeah, yeah. And You're, then when you try to deposit cash out, you need to like schedule it, and they won't even give you cash. Dude, I had a forty thousand dollar check the other day, mm -hmm. and I was starting a new business on the coaching side for Fireside, and we went to TD Bank, and again, maybe that's just a branch I went to, but it was like impossible to start a new business account. And I haven't gone in years. I've had my business forever. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. like the people didn't really understand what to do. All the stipulations that the bank and the regulations had. <laughs> and you're like, I can't give you forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 right now. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to take out more than five grand cash, mm -hmm. you better call a week in advance. Bro, I was like working with the bank when I first started Roadly. I was actually originally going to go to Chase, and I had all my articles of formation, all the stuff needed for a business bank account. And I, I guess kind of COVID kind of put them in a loop. A lot of them were working remote. They couldn't set up my business bank account for whatever it was for like one week, then two weeks, then three weeks, then a month. And it was approaching August. I was like, guys, 
my business is starting. I need you guys to set this up. And like, for whatever reason, I got like a letter in the mail saying that my business bank account is going to be closed unless I give them my documents, which I already gave them at the branch. You know, I had to wait outside for 30 minutes with my mask on because I was doing this all during COVID. So it was a pain in the ass. And then, you know, they would just say that they didn't get the documents. So I ended up leaving and going to PNC just because of that, because I had money coming in and business about to start. So I was trying, it was like two weeks out. I was like, I need a business bank account. I was going to give Chase my business, but then I had to go to PNC. Not that there's not anything wrong with Chase. They're yeah. a big, great bank. But that's one of the hurdles I faced during COVID when starting up. I literally couldn't even get a business bank account opened with all the documents I had. It's insane, so, right? Yeah. It was an interesting time. And that's, and that's another nugget, another lesson. Like you go to get, you know, on LegalZoom and you guys can do this for under $200. Mm-hmm. You can get the actual LLC set up. They'll give you the direction on the IRS website to go and do that and get your EIN number. And then you need the articles of formation, which mm-hmm. allow you to set up the business account. And mm-hmm. a lot of times I think that that seems like this real complex process. Mm-hmm. You could do it right on LegalZoom. Someone will guide you through that. They took me on LegalZoom the first time, maybe 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. to get it all set up. And then, you know, the next time I got an LLC was for a rental property. I got it in two minutes, you know. It's so automated, yeah. it's a, so a, simple. But a lot of people think mm-hmm. like, like, do I start an S-Corp? Do I start mm-hmm. an LLC? First off, most people mm-hmm. who are starting a small business, mm-hmm. you're, you're perfectly fine with an LLC. LLC. And then as soon as you get over a certain threshold of revenues, then you could consider, <laughs> again, depending on the, the structure of your business mm-hmm. and what you're doing. But uh, And that's what we did. Yeah. We started as an LLC. You know, a couple of years went by. My CPA was like, we got to move you to an S-Corp. There's yeah. going to be so much tax benefits for yeah. you. Um, so, yeah, start as an LLC. It's super simple. Five, ten minutes on you know, legal zoom. Yeah. All the business tools are at our fingertips. It hasn't been an easier time in history. But those are the little hurdles though, that like people get held up on like something so Mm. simple like that, because it's a a stupid Mm. little checklist item that's Mm -hmm. prohibiting you. And we just need to take that action myself and who I am as a person and a man and things I try to improve upon. It's like, okay, I I got that snag or, or I had this issue with somebody like, what am I doing? This is a simple fix. You just got to mm-hmm. address it. Mm-hmm. Same thing in business. Like if you want to go take those next few steps, like these are just checklist items. They're not that hard. They're bigger in our head than they are in person. It was like a daunting task for me because yeah. obviously when I started in April, I, I knew I was eventually going to start this company for honestly, since I was in college, I don't know. I knew eventually I was going to start my own company, whether it was going to be logistics or it was going to be something in healthcare. But, you know, probably about six months before actually pulling the trigger, I remember it was like a daunting task. I have to get like a formation of a business. How the hell do I do that? Is LegalZoom really that easy? How am I going to get an accountant? But then once you take the action, you're like, oh, wow, that wasn't, like, ripped the bandit off. That wasn't bad it at all. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. It's like you get, and, and, and anything that has to do with the IRS, taxes, mm-hmm. a business, you know, because the, the IRC code is just so, <coughs> you know, large. It's, it's, uh. Yeah, these are going out today. I don't know why. They it, it it seems so scary. But again, that's why these guys and girls go to college specifically for that stuff. You know, that's mm-hmm. their job and they're gonna walk you through it. And there's a lot of softwares and different things nowadays that make it easier too. Um the best business tools, like the easiest ones, even down to like your instant messaging near your company, like Slack. Yeah. Like I'm sure they didn't have Slack 15, 20 years ago. I can't imagine how hard like it was to actually create a business back in the day. And communicate. Know, and communicate. Yeah, I think it was uh, uh, Dana White the other day was saying it on, uh, I think it was their podcast or just an Instagram reel or, or, or an interview. And he was like, listen, like 
go be a fucking savage because there's not a lot of people doing it. They are so afraid. And if you just put your head down a little bit, you're gonna be successful. I've seen that one. He was like, he was like, there's barely any savages out there. So if you, for the millennials and then whoever, out the, whatever the new generation is, he's like, if you're even remotely a savage, you're gonna crush it and kill everyone. Mm -hmm. It's the truth, man. Mm -hmm. So true. And talk about crushing it, you're crushing. How many employees do you have? Right now we have- You're gonna heat up that bourbon just so you know. Oh yeah, it's true. Right now we have right about 20. And we have plans over the next quarter to hire another three sales guys in New Jersey, another two or three sales guys in Atlanta. We just hired um, an ops guy last week. So it's funny, as our business grows, you know, besides like, you know, C-suite level, like COO and mm -hmm. all that corporate structure, you know, it's like we gotta balance. When we bring on more salespeople, we're gonna need more ops people. Yep. We're gonna bring on more ops people, we need more salespeople. So yep. it's kinda like in waves. One quarter we'll focus on building up our ops, and then our operations will get kinda slow because we're overpowered in ops. Then we'll be like, okay, let's get more salespeople in there and then build it up and go back. And that's you, probably the hardest job is finding the right people. Yeah, you can't go and just <laughs> sell the hell out of your product and then all of a sudden you have no one on the back end to fulfill it. No, I think um, that was probably, besides like operations and making sure the service to the customers were you know, 100%, and that's what kept my customers from day one coming back and yeah, coming back. Loyalty. The second biggest thing, you're probably right up there with that, was creating a good team. And I think that's one thing that we did really well from the start was getting the right players together. And like I said, we have a very low turnover rate. Like my team, like they crush it. Like our operations guys, even the, like I have guys just came on with no experience, just like how I was back in the day. And now they're like leading, you know, the numbers of the week, booking so many shipments, getting, getting loads on the board. Dude, team and, is everything. Talk a little bit about how you build a good team. Early on, because I was so chippy and I came up just like hustling and it was kind of like Ryan versus the world until I like, unpacked my insecurities I like was definitely not a good manager yeah and I still at this time struggle with this because I'm like a direct guy like dude I need that mm -hmm. fucking done yep so what are some of the things that you're doing that number one built that really good team but also keeps them together I would say you know hire people at first that are smarter than you and could lead more than you like me as well I, I would say at the beginning you know I first got into this I was probably not a good manager. I really didn't know how to, you know, lead and manage teams. So I kind of just took my time and found the right pieces slowly but surely. I didn't jump into it and say, okay, I'm hiring all these people. Although we had enough revenue coming in to do that, we were super tactical with who we hired. After, you know, my first employee, Nick, who came on, I taught him the ropes, taught him how to do everything. And then from there, we're like, okay, we have... What do we need next? What do we need next? We need an operations guy and go from there, then that's when I called up, you know, my buddy Mark from Baltimore and slowly but surely started to convince him to pack his things. He actually packed come, his stuff come run it with New me. Jersey and, and, you know, the rest is history from there. Then bringing on some more salespeople. And going from that apartment where you're mm -hmm. running this logistics company and it was just you and one other guy at the time, correct? Yep, my guy, Nick. Nick. Mm -hmm. Nick's the man. Nick's the man. The one friend that, or one buddy that gets in there in the trenches yep. with you to begin with. He trusts me. I said, hey, let's go. He was working at the gym and he wanted to do something new. And I was like, this is going to be perfect for you. And he's like, let's go. Nick's probably super talented and, and really good at his job. Yep. But sometimes you don't need the most talented guy because he's most likely going to bail on you. Mm -hmm. You need the person who's going to be loyal to mm -hmm. you and you can trust in. Mm -hmm. um, and they're going to stay with you when times get hard. Mm -hmm. But that first year, we talked about this briefly earlier, you did, in a six-month time span, $1.1 million in revenue. Yep. That's, From, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, it kind of, we got off to the races with it. 
Um, you know, people would say it's blessed, but it was really just nonstop freaking work. You know, me and Nick were just hustling, doing the operations, and both of us who really didn't have sales experience were doing sales in our apartment. Um, it really came down from the preparation I had for those four months before, connecting with all my contacts in the logistics industry who I met. You know, people who didn't know me that I saved their contact information, but I met them at a conference saying, mm-hmm. you know, here's what I'm about to do. You know, here's my credentials. I can move your freight. You know, 100 no's. You got one yes for every, you know, 100 no's. But, you know, there was a couple people that are our seed customers that trusted us. And those people from the first few weeks are still giving us weekly shipments to this day. We didn't screw up, which was like the hardest thing. The first, you know, few months were moving so much freight that like, that you should be, we should have a business of like 25 people to handle, but it was me and Nick. So we hit the ground running. We, on our first week, we made enough profit to pay for all the costs of the company that that the startup, which was like, we started the company with six, $7,000 tops. Mm. Um, I withdrew my 401k, which was pretty much nothing. It was pretty much broke. Mm-hmm. Um, I had less than $10,000 in my name and just went all in because I knew that there was a, a, a problem to be solved and we had all the right pieces. December came, we closed the books, we broke a million in sales. It was awesome. And then we were positioned to grow even further as, you know, I got to point out the whole 401k thing, right? Yeah. So 401k and Tom Brady have one thing in common. They're a household name. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and people, I've given people that, I posed that question in financial meetings and they've been like, because the 401k is a champion like Tom Brady? Absolutely nope. not. It's the biggest loser ever. No, I hear Grant Cardone say it all the time, too. And like everyone's it's like, you don't have jail, a 401k? Dude. I'm like, I'd rather put it, if I was going to invest it, I'd rather put it in like an ETF that's going to make 9%, 10% annually and be able to take it out. Put it in yourself. Put it in myself, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're the best rate of return, and you can it, manipulate it, and you get tax deductions, and then, and then, and then. Yeah. You know, anybody mm-hmm. who's trying to start a business, mm-hmm. and I've given this advice to a lot of people mm-hmm. over the last few years, people who wanted the advice, and I said, dude, I would take money out of your qualified plan. Who cares? Pay the 10% penalty mm-hmm. and pay the tax because without you stripping out that money. And these are people who left their business already mm-hmm. and they had 350 grand sitting there and they want to start a business. And they're sitting there going, I got no money. Yeah. That rate of return for all of those people I've given that advice on has been 20x what that 401k ever would they give them maybe at 59 and a half, 30 mm-hmm. years from now. Yeah. So just a little nugget there, like if you feel you got no money, but you got 150 grand inside your 401k, put take that, the hit. Even if you're not going to put it in yourself, go put it in real estate or something when the market's right. Like, anything else but the 401k. Anything else but the 401k, yeah. Although you can take the 401k and do a self-directed IRA mm-hmm. into real estate, but again, you have limited control. But mm-hmm. compliance, I wasn't giving advice. I'm just saying that could mm-hmm. be done. Yeah. I mean, at that time, I was actually in like $15,000 of credit card debt that carried over from bad bad habits in college, spending too much money more than I was making. Mm-hmm. So I had some cash in the bank, but I was definitely in no position to have enough funds to start a business if I didn't do that. And I'm talking about like, you know, a few thousand dollars. And I scrapped it all together, made it happen, and it was super risky. So you watched Scalfani's podcast. Yeah. And like they talked about taking out all those credit cards and mm-hmm. the cash advances that they offered to open the CKO. Mm-hmm. And again, yes, that's a big risk, but in any type of business, if you want to win, you're going to have to take some risk. Oh, yeah. And and there's strategic risk, right? You mm-hmm. can be very tactful in how you go and take that risk and how much you put on the line. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, the old guy used to say to me, no risk it, no biscuit, yeah. right? So you got to take risk. And that's what I, you know... She's my fiance now. We're getting married in a couple of weeks. She's my girlfriend at the time. I was like, "Hey, I'm I'm doing this. Are you comfortable with it? I'm going to be, you know, a little bit broke for the next few times." She was like, "All in." She was like my rock during it, and she, you know, 
it's like that motivation. It's like, okay, if we if I go in and fail, what's the worst that can happen? I'm be broke. I'm, I'm pretty much broke now. Like you go back, you go back to the other trucking. I go game back to the other to the other job and and make it all back and still have a normal life. It's not. It's the best time to take that risk too. Yeah, no kids, not, no, no real no bills. kids, no real bills. Um, not to say that if you had kids and had bills, you still can't take the risk. You've got to be more conservative with that risk because mm-hmm. you have people that, you know, you're taking care of your kids. It's a little tougher at that time. So before, you know, I had kids and I was like, the best time. I was like, if we don't do it now, it'd be way tougher to do it in the future. I probably still would have done it in the future. but Yeah, same. I'll always yeah. continue to take risk. Yeah. I always ask myself because then I'm like in the risk and it could go one of two ways. It could go south or it could go north. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Damn, I didn't have to take this risk right now. I didn't really need to take this risk. Yep. But I think that's just inherently in you as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? And an and entrepreneur, that could mm-hmm. be someone who just opens up a simple flower shop or someone who chops wood, you know? Mm-hmm. You're an entrepreneur. If you're doing something outside the, the scope of normalcy, right, or yeah. the rat race, you're an entrepreneur. And I think that is going to be in you all the time. Mm-hmm. So at some point, right, you started that first year at 1.1%. You had said the second year you went up to what? Eight, nine, about maybe like 8.5 million sales. So you 8X'd it, and then, you know, over the years, you've you've then doubled that and, and, and some, right? So yeah. you have really built a, a legitimate business, and you're building great careers and lives for everybody inside that. But at mm-hmm. some point, you're going to go, I'm at 100 mil of revs, right? That's the goal, right? and then some. I'm at 100 mil of revs. What? What do I do now? Because mm-hmm. it's going to become boring to some degree, yeah. right? You're sitting yeah. on top of this whole entire org chart, mm-hmm. and you're Anthony, and you're somebody who mm-hmm. inherently likes to take risk. Yeah, you're going to go do something else big. Yeah, something that either gives back to the country, your community, exactly, uh, while also making money. All that. Yes. So that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I mean, we're going on to our third year, and two, three weeks from now, it'll be our third year anniversary and we're positioned, like I said, maybe on 22 to 26 million in sales in just one year period. So That's in, huge. in three years now, we've done, what is it, close to 30 million cumulatively in mm-hmm. sales and, you know, we're, our foot's on the pedal. We're in, you know, a little bit of a freight recession where it's not like the past couple of years when COVID first happened, there were shippers throwing money everywhere. It was like- They had I, to get stuff out. I saw an article where, there was a podcast about freight. I think it's Freight Caviar. And they had one of the CEOs for one of the, the other brokerages out there or a trucking company. And, and they had an analogy that 2020, 2021, it was like there were 747s flying over the country just dumping $100 bills out to the trucking market. So it was kind of a great time to get in it. But although there's been a little bit of a freight recession with less shipments coming out of the ports and less uh, revenue per shipment, we're still growing year over year. Yeah. So that's, that's a kinda, testament to you guys. A testament to, uh, you know, Roadly, the team, everyone's working hard, everyone's committed, and, you know, everyone's got that mentality of go, 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 go. We'll, we'll build the plane as we fly it. That's like... Dude, it's, it's the same thing in my world, right? So I'm in finance. I also was starting this podcast and this coaching group, The Pit 2.0, mm-hmm. and it's like I could pull back on spending that money to grow out that digital infrastructure mm-hmm. to bring in influencers to help you know, shed more eyes because I don't care what anybody says. Mm-hmm. You could be somebody who's a rock star in your local community. To go national, you need national eyes. Mm-hmm. What's the most effective way to do it? Why does Macy's, Nordstrom, Nike go after the biggest brand ambassadors in mm-hmm. the NBA, NFL, MLB, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, personal brands. It's what's growing big corporations. For sure. It's the same thing in our space now. It's like, hey, how do you do that? Well, you got to go spend money. Yeah. Nobody's free. That's like, 
you know, what you just said was like, I've read, um, it was a book about Bezos. I think it was the Everything Store was a mm-hmm. book I read. It was about how he, when he started up Amazon, he was making all the money, but you just, he just kept reinvesting into the funnel of customer service, building the product, stuff like that. So I kind of take that, you know, with me and all this, we're making a lot of, you know, gross profits, profits year over year. And I'm just still foot on the pedal. I don't want to get tired of it. All like all the money we're making, I'm using as momentum to dump it in back into the company because I know one day, you know, if any recessions are slowed down, we're going to be in a way better spot mm-hmm. because we're reinvesting all the profits. You know, I don't need every dollar coming out of the company. I'd rather put it onto um, headcount, you know, services, technology, and just keep getting roadly better. So by the time we stop and take a breath, if we ever do, we're like, holy shit, we got all this stuff. We got all the tech in place. We, you know, have a great teams. We're building, building, building. And, and you're you know, going to hit tough years. Yeah. But like we're in a winter season, they would say, mm. in the economic cycles. So mm-hmm. if you can win in this season while everybody's, for the most part, is mm-hmm. pulling the back. gas pedal and the throttle back, mm-hmm. right, you need to stay on it. Yeah. And you got to believe in your vision and your end goal, and you're going to be able to grab spots mm-hmm. and, and move, your, market share, all that. move yourself up the market share ladder mm-hmm. because you're not pulling back, and yeah. you're obviously somebody that's not, and yeah. that's going to reward you handsomely. Because if you can win in winter, you're going to win big in spring and summer. Yeah. And that's not to say, like, you know, we faced the adversity when, at, during the startup. Like, when we were, when we hit the ground running, we still had stuff that I've never experienced before. I remember um, probably the first year in business besides, like, you know, that we had customers going insolvent, not paying the bills. How the hell do I deal with that? We had, um, I got sued a couple, t- I got sued for um, non-compete agreements. that I, I didn't know about that in the market. I could hire someone and I wasn't supposed to hire them, so you get to fire them, let them go. Yeah, because you left the other freight brokers. <laughs> exactly. Then I, I had to sue people for, you know, not paying large bills. And then cargo claims, stuff like that. How do I handle that? I remember probably three or four months into the business, we were going on a vacation, me and my friends, and of course, at that time, if you ask any of my family or friends, you know, my phone would ring whether we're at dinner, it would be two in the morning, you can ask my fiance, I was nonstop. I remember we just checked into the hotel and there's like a picture on our email of a trucking company took like super expensive marble and granite tiles from a freight forwarder to um, a receiver down in Georgia, and there was just a photo of just smashed marble everywhere. I checked into my vacation with all my friends. It was a, yeah. it was a friend's trip. That vacation Me and my sucked. girl, we get there. I look at the phone. I'm like, oh, fuck. And, like, I'm trying to figure out how I never, never dealt with that cargo claim before. Does the insurance cover it? Luckily, it all did. Everything was taken care of. But that's, like, a pit in your stomach as you're yeah. growing. And that could, like, you know, all those downfalls, you got to just go through and I'm, I'm a I'm a natural anxiety like I have anxiety and like yeah. about everything stress and when You're that stuff happens it. you know I learned how to like manage kind of cope with that I still get super nervous when you know stuff happens that I've never experienced before but that first year everything was thrown at us you know yep. whether it was a, a trucking accident cargo claims insolvent customers lawsuits it was like yeah but once you do it the next it. time it happens you're a little bit better the next time it happens you're a lot better mm-hmm. and then after so many times yes you still slightly have that feeling mm-hmm. but you know what to do to take care of it and handle it yep. like I just threw this event again I'm somebody here who's started this financial services. I got this podcast that's starting to gain a lot of traction, but I'm not somebody who has $150 million at 36 mm-hmm. years old, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to throw this big event. It was a lot of pressure. It was a lot of stress. I had anxiety. Like You had I, some crazy characters there, too, some super like successful, awesome fucking people. That was great. It, it, was, it was a that lot was, of work, a lot of mm-hmm. pressure, 
And last thing I wanted to do is have 20 people show up, right? Mm -hmm. But now that you did it once, it's like, all right, I have the confidence to do it again. Not that I wouldn't go at it with the same tenacity mm -hmm. because I want to take it bigger, like you're taking roadly bigger, mm -hmm. but you got to press into that fear and lean into the uncomfortable zone because every time you get a little uncomfortable, whether it be in personal development or in business, you have growth. And mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of the older people in business, women and men, should be turning around and helping the young business owners. And there's not a lot of that because they just keep going. Yep. And now the, the young guys sitting there stressed the hell out. That's why I pay coaches. Yeah. You know, I, I pay Keaton. If it wasn't for Keaton, I probably wouldn't have thrown that event. Mm -hmm. It would have been five years from now yeah. when I felt like I was further along mm -hmm. than I deserved. And he was going, nice. you're a Bush rock star you. now. Yeah. Like, go do it now. Mm -hmm. So I think more people need to turn around and help people. And mm -hmm. others need to be okay investing in, you know, coaches and people that can help yeah. them. Yeah, that's one big thing as like I go to the future as like a goal of mine is, you know, kind of help, you know, whether it's younger or older, anyone just stepping into the game of business, you know, I'm no expert in everything. I, I mean, I would say I'm an expert in logistics, but business as a whole, I've just, you know, dealt with a lot of issues and a lot of things to get through in business. So I definitely want to like give a helping hand. You got to come train in the pit, dude. 100%, man. Yeah, we could talk about logistics, but but mm -hmm. just business in general. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have you. Because again, you're, you're not you're not much older than a lot of the people in yeah. there. You know, yeah. there's some people older than you. I, I'm, a, I'm a normal dude that, that, like everyone fucking else that, that did it and, you know, is still doing it and felt all the pressures of business and whatever knowledge I can give, whether it not be much or whatever, I'm down. And whatever knowledge I can get back and reciprocate, would love that. Yeah, and, and dude, it's the littlest thing sometimes mm -hmm. that I see shift people's mind and the littlest thing that I've received from other people, mm -hmm. but you gotta be seeking it. We just had a conversation before where I sometimes stick my foot in my mouth and I tell people shit that they're not ready to hear. Mm -hmm. So if, if someone is open-minded to wanna learn and they're on a coaching group like The Pit or, mm -hmm. or Limitless or any of these you know coaching groups out there, they're looking to receive something and one little thing could shift their mind like one degree mm -hmm. and be and huge for them in life snowball and their business. Affected. Huge. Mm -hmm. And it's just something they were looking for that you came on who was a trucking logistics guy and they're in some different type of e-com business. You Tell know? them you're on the right path, tweak this, tweak that, but go for it. Yep, 100%. Yeah. And, and that's what other people don't realize. Oh, what advice can you give to a plumber, you never owned a plumbing business. Mm -hmm. Well, the template and the model for marketing mm -hmm. is is really the same across the board for anybody. Mm -hmm. Again, going Especially back- Especially scaling it. Going back to the influencers, go all the way up to the biggest corporations in the world, mm -hmm. they're using influencers. Yeah. So even- If I could do another business, it would be like an influencer media company. Yeah. That, well, <laughs> well, there's- gazillion of them tons now. Tons of them. Like, yeah. If I can go back, that's what I would do. <laughs> they all think they're doing it, and there's yeah. only a handful that are really, really doing mm -hmm. it well, but they're making a shit ton of yeah. money. So what is the future? Now, we talked about a you know, $100 million goal. Mm -hmm. What is the next thing you want to break into with Roadly, and you know, what are the steps to take to do so? So right now, we're all domestic freight brokerage, um, also inter-Canada, Mexico, all that stuff. We eventually want to start purchasing our own assets and having a transportation side as well. Um, invest in trucking, sprinter vans. The real big thing I want to do is uh, reefer sprinter vans for time-critical cold shipments. So we're going to build up an asset division on that front. Is cold something that's lacking? 
In the sprinter vans, yes. In like time critical, we have we have reefer um, full truckloads, fifty three foot. But we have so many customers that have you know one pallet or two pallet that has to get like somewhere. a quick fish thing from the dock, like one pallet. Exactly. So it's way more economical to put it in a sprinter van with a refrigerator on it. But the marketplace lacks that from contracted drivers. There's reefer sprinter vans out there, like you know our our buddies at Eat Clean Bro. They own the trucks themselves. And they move that around and they have that but asset. That's a very big expense to Jamie. It's, it's, it it's been a great lever for him, yep. but it's expensive. So now if the marketplace opens up and there's four higher trucks in different areas with those reefer sprinter vans more open up or reefer box trucks, which there are some, but few and far between. They're like Now unicorns. would that be, and when we'll use Jamie as an example, mm-hmm. but would it be more economic, economical for Jamie to bring you on and deliver those type of local routes he's doing? All depends on on their plan. I would say right now what they're doing in New Jersey is fantastic. They own that supply chain. That the mm. quality is great. Um, it is a little bit of a liability, but their brand is, is their quality is excellent. All that stuff. Their name brand. And as they expand across the country, they'll have to rely more on um, you know outsourcing it to the correct partners who are going to do it correctly and build trust. You know because he doesn't want to build you know fleets in every city in America when they're already existing. Mm. So. It could be a lever that he that something his team could use where he can have a little balance of his own assets and he might have to lean on some other partners to, to expand. Whether he wants to expand or not, that's all up to him. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that brand is fantastic, man. Yeah. I, I, I eat that shit every day for lunch. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. been, he's been battling through it since mm-hmm. COVID himself yeah. and food costs and mm-hmm. he built the place. And I always think about it I'm like, damn, Jamie, you got a lot of trucks, a lot yeah. of drivers, a liability. Mm-hmm. And I know he does run into issues from time to time, mm-hmm. but that stuff shows up real fresh him and his wife are strong business-minded people they definitely had some adversity with the with covid or whatever or all that yeah. stuff and, who and didn't? the downturn who didn't but those people are gonna push through and fucking continue to yeah. go their their quality of their ingredients are insane he's a machine cuts machine. hudson's coming he's gonna yeah. shed some hair on you that's fine so but, <laughs> when you talk about buying out the assets, you're talking about buying those vans, buying trucks, buying tractors, right? Owning it and then, you know, um, doing for, for our customers who need that, you know, one or two pallets instead of them paying for a full reefer truckload because the costs are higher if you're going to do a 53-foot reefer truck. Yeah, versus, for one pallet. For one pallet that can go in a sprinter van, you know, it's not half the you cost. You need to you talk to Phil Vitillo from Diversified Fixtures. Yeah? Yeah, because they'll do, like, one-off pallets where they'll ship their tools to... We do that with, with, with dry all day long. Yeah, you need to talk to him. I know that that's something he does, and he's always talking about the shipping costs. It's just absolutely crazy. We have a lot of—we we found a, a very good niche with the solar industry. So a lot of times they have jobs in the solar industry where they have to ship one pallet, two pallet, three pallets, and maybe up to ten pallets dedicated. It can't go LTL. LTL is like less than truckload shipping for pallets. It's like— Think FedEx, UPS with a parcel, but in pallet form. They send their pallets to their distribution centers, goes all around America until it ends up at your door. It could be five to 15 days. But solar industries, they kind of get jobs real quick where they have to pop up and send five pallets directly over there, where they'll use sprinter vans and box trucks to go dedicated from their warehouse to the job site. So we found a really you know good niche with that because 
a lot of these guys don't want to spend, you know, the full truckload rate. You're shipping an empty trailer, you know, yeah. it's only 15% filled up. They'll come to Roadly and say, hey, can I get a sprinter truck or a box truck? Mm-hmm. And like our operations team for sprinter and box trucks are, they have that solid. I can get a box truck or a sprinter van probably anywhere, you know, in America they besides that out. besides out in the middle of nowhere, like North mm-hmm. Dakota, within like 30 minutes to an hour with like our network of sprinter wow. vans we built up. It's crazy. We probably have like from the carriers to units of sprinter vans, maybe like 5,000 to 6,000 sprinter vans set up in our network. So Yeah, it's you guys got to connect, you and Phil. Yeah, so please. what do you, you talk about buying these assets. What do you guys t- think about the trucking industry going to robotic, going to a self-driving truck? We'll pivot when that happens. I love that. I mean, you know, Elon yeah, Probably Musk. be much more cost-effective yeah. over time. Yeah, and you know what? And the best part about us in being the brokerage, it'll still be a perfect need for a brokerage. We'll just be brokering out to carriers who have uh, driverless trucks. They'll have a less expense for them. They'll now, have you have margin. some type of software that's communicating to the robot the in the truck? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it, it, You'll be dealing with a lot less cranky people. They, they actually already have that. So we have a lot of our software goes directly with the ELDs, the uh, electronic logs that are in the truck system. So we don't, even have, we don't even have to track the driver's phone. We could track their actual tractor and see where it's at. So it's so, just like Uber. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, Uber has a device that they're mm-hmm. tracking. But Yeah. It helps our operations guys track loads when the driver's not answering the phone or the carrier's not answering the phone. We have always visibility on them. Mm-hmm. Like there was, there was one time where a driver said that he had a team truck. He had a husband-wife duo. So the truck was supposed to go nonstop from, I think, Dallas to Orlando, Florida. And we saw the truck stop. I think it ended up being, this was like a year or two ago, that it ended up only being one guy in the truck. They were lying to us. And we saw their ELD system just sitting in a truck stop, and no one was answering the phone. The carrier wasn't answering the phone. They were moving a very time-critical load of food that expired in a couple of days. So if they would have missed it, there would have been a full $100,000 claim. So we looked in our network. We saw another truck driver passing through Louisiana, right through that area. I was like, yo, can you please stop at this truck stop when you pass it? Sure enough, passed it, banged on the door, woke the driver up. The driver's like, who the hell are you? It's like, call your broker. And he called us, and we're like, hey, man. Tell it to us straight. Like, your truck has to keep moving. You're a team load. And he's like, no, nah, it's only me in the truck, so I legally can't drive. So we catch them. Like, it's an unfortunate situation. We can't make him drive because that would yeah. be illegal. So we tell and him. God forbid something happens. We tell him, hey, man, it is what it is, bygones, but we have to come send in another truck to take your trailer to the destination or all that product is going to be expired and you're going to be stuck with a cargo claim. And then, you know, gingerly back and forth, that's what the operations does. Yeah got the trailer, did a trailer interchange agreement, got it for the customer on time. And then we go to the customer and say, hey, there was a slight hiccup. You know, there was an issue with the team versus solo driver. Roadly jumped on top of it. We already sent in another truck at no extra expense to you, and it's going to deliver on time. See, that's the getting into the flow state, Mm -hmm. anticipating the problems before you get to it. So having all that mm-hmm. data and understanding the problems that you're going to run into, and that's any business. You got to be able to sift through, bull- you got to be able to tell bullshit from bullshit when working in operations and trucking because people will lie through the teeth. A lot of times- They're trying to make know- a living. Yeah. And no, there's a lot of great truck drivers out there. Majority of truck drivers are, you know, amazing people who work yeah, ethically grinding. and grinding. But True Americans. But like, like any- Anything in America, any type of sector, there's, there's going to be bad apples and you of don't course. know who you're working with. And just to have that visibility when that stuff happens where there's, there's drivers out there that'll just pick up the shipment knowingly that they're going to be late and just turn and the truck off and say, I'm delivering next week. And, and, sometimes, and let's be honest, the, you know, the, the intelligence in this 
country can track all of our cars. Oh yes, there's there's track tra- anything. yeah there's tracking everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's something good that you guys have, and you can be proactive. Yeah, and that's and I think that's what the time critical customers keep coming back to us for because a lot of the mega brokers in that situation would see the truck broken down. They wouldn't go spend the extra money because they know they're going to lose that money to mm-hmm. send in another tractor. Like on shipments like that, when there's an exception. Yeah, they'll just make, they'll just make a claim. Roadly, Roadly sends it in. We'll pay, we'll lose on the load. Well, I'll lose $3,000. i have lost $5,000 on a load before, which, you know, I'm charging the customer XYZ and we're making this much profit. If there's an issue, I'm sending in that next truck to pick it up. We don't charge the customer for that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proud to take like whatever loss I can for loyal customers, yeah. you know, and then we'll go to them and that's, we have a lot of big name brand customers out there and the, and the clients will tell us that's why we go to Roadly because I know when there's an issue that you guys are going to come to me with the issue and the solution it's already fixed and issues happen in logistics it's just you guys fix them so you hear this all the time nowadays like oh loyalty is a thing of the past and you know loyalty mm. doesn't go that far anymore and people mm. are all out for themselves I disagree you know it, when you get very large at scale I think that's mm. hard to it's- do uh, like you're talking about the mega brokers, mm-hmm. but you're a small business owner. I think loyalty goes a long way. A very long way. With customers, with carriers, with employees. Your own employees. Relationships, everything. Yeah. I think loyalty is a, a big piece of it. You know, we have, I have carriers that I've been working with since my first week that I gave this. And speaking of loyalty, my first week in business, that's one of the hardest things as a broker because they, just like I could see the credit scores of the carriers and stuff, they could see that with the brokerage. Mm-hmm. So who's going to take freight from us on the first week? I'm dishing out tens of thousands of freight to these trucks, and I'm paying them after they deliver. So you have to build that up. Probably out of 10 carriers who call in or I call them who match up on the freight, who want the freight, they're, nine of them are going to say no because your motor carrier license, they see that we're a week old. How do we know that you're not fly by night and you, I'm going to deliver the load and you're going to screw me over? Yeah. Which happens all the time. All the time. Because probably dirty guys in that freight industry mm-hmm. pop up a shell company. And that's what happened with us, too. <laughs> How do they protect against that? I guess, you know, the, the grading. So there's the, um, the FMSEA, the DOT, Department of Transportation. Every broker has to file a $75,000 bond in order to get a brokerage license. So if I tell a carrier, hey, I'm going to pay you $5,000, go take this shipment across the country, and he delivers, and I say, you know, screw you, I'm not paying you, they could file on my bond. And that bond and insurance company, up to $75,000. So then how did those guys get away to- with it that do that then and beat people? So it's more of like shippers popping up that don't have to file anything. So I can tomorrow go create a company called, you know, Anthony Building Materials and then go call one of the mega brokers and say, hey, I'm a small company. I have freight that needs to move. You're going to move my freight? And depending on the credit scores, they can go, you know, move a bunch of truckloads so I can go take from someone else and then just close down shop. Come put me in collections. The LLC no longer exists. Mm. Stuff like that. And that's what happened to us on, on one of our um, cases recently. Someone popped up, pretended to be a customer. They moved maybe thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 of freight for us, didn't pay their bills, closed down, and it was a fraud scheme. So now I'm in a lawsuit with that. There's, there's bad people out there, but there's yeah. more good than bad. Yeah. So you can't let that get to you. So rounding this out, I'd like to ask two questions usually. Mm. The first question is, if you were to give any advice to a young gal or guy that's going into business ownership, what would that be? And again, you know, really kind of like it could be a one-liner, it could okay. be a sentence or two. I'm going to take one of my good quotes that I used when I did it. I, I mentioned it already on the podcast. I was, it was, build a plane while you're flying it. 
jump, make the decision, just do it. You yeah. know, obviously go in with some background on what you're doing. Just don't on a whim say, I'm doing that, you know, study it. But when you feel like you're ready and like that thing in your mind saying, maybe not, maybe I should wait a few months, maybe yeah. I'll do it next year. If you feel like you're more than halfway ready to do it, take the first step. Yeah, challenge Everything it. else will go together. Yep. And you yeah. know, I heard that um, from um, Glenn Stearns, the guy who's the undercover billionaire. I think I spoke to you about him previously. Mm-hmm. He was... Um, in my college, he had founded my fraternity, and his son, Sky, also went to our college, so we were buddies, and his father, being this big, successful businessman, me and my roommate at that time, Mark, who's now my COO, whenever he was on the East Coast, we would take that time to go pick this dude's brain with everything, because Mark's like me, he's business-minded, so we would take that time and go ask him these questions, I remember he said that. He said, hire people that are smarter than you, and you know, build the plane as you fly it, take the step. And I remembered that for years. He told us that in maybe 2011. And, you know, that's um, some knowledge and wisdom that went a long way. Because I, I remember that in my head when I was starting. I was like, screw it, let's go. So it's funny. You, you, we, we say it, everybody, a lot of people said, like, hire people who are smarter than you, put them around you, remove your ego and listen to them. But some people will challenge it and go, well, why am I going to hire people smarter than me? Mm. Then why don't they go run the company? And simply because they don't have the the risk tolerance. Yeah, it's not exactly. something they want to do. Maybe some people are super comfortable <laughs> with getting super high salaries and running the company and yep. not having the risk. And there's some people that will take the risk. And it's vice versa. It's it's different pros strokes. and cons. Different strokes. 100. percent Yep. Second question. Mm-hmm. So you we already talked about Eat Clean Bro. We gave Jamie and his wife a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Give me another company or two here locally that you love, and it could be you know a deli up to a restaurant. It could be electrician, whatever it may be. Okay. So I got two, and they're both kind of, I guess, in contracting space. I got R&R Contracting. They are based in, I guess it would be Morganville, New Jersey. They do home renovations, commercial, all that stuff. Pretty big contractor. They started maybe a year or two before Roadley started. Um, some close buddies I grew up with from Old Bridge, they're kicking ass. They're in new homes every day doing uh, basements, kitchens. They just, they're flipping houses. They're building houses in Keyport from scratch. That's they're awesome. really great. Um, Sean Russo and Chris Rubato, uh one of them should come on this podcast because they scrapped it all up and made it happen. Tell them to connect with the team. I will. Get on the schedule. And then one more, Monmouth HVAC. Uh, my buddy Paul and Alex Awiki, they're brothers. They run a HVAC company. Alex lives in Marlboro. Paul's from Oldbridge still. And they're also kicking ass. They got like their master's plumber license. They got, you know, big things going with contractors and commercial work. You know, they're in houses building out, you know, bathrooms, sewage, all that stuff. Also in big buildings. And they did the same thing. Paul started the company years back. It started as an HVAC guy. And they've just been growing like gangbusters. Like more and more employees every day. And just two guys running this, trying to scale it up and make it happen. Yeah, that's not an easy industry to do it in either. No, but they've been hustling their asses off. And it's crazy how much they've grown. Yeah. Well, listen, dude, this has been great. I mean, I, I, that's the most I've ever heard about logistics, but it's super interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of different facets to the business. And, dude, you you got it figured out, man. Like, Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I don't got it all figured out yet. I'm still trying every day, but I, I appreciate those kind words. We have imposter syndrome a lot of times, and, and there's areas I always am, am trying to improve on, whether it be personal development or mm-hmm. in business. Um, and a lot of times I don't believe I'm as good as I am in certain areas. And, uh, 
that, dude, you you got it going on. You definitely have that down pat. You're gonna do big things. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. And also, vice versa, man, to you. you you guys are crushing it. You and your team. This is awesome. I'm gonna continue to go, and it doesn't go without my team. Exactly. These guys, you know, it's not just Ryan. I may be the loud mouth and the, and the mouthpiece with the bullhorn, but yeah, it we takes got some a brains team. back there too. Yeah, and absolutely. Much smarter than me. Yeah, that's why I hired him. <laughs> exactly. Cheers. Cheers, man. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Yep.